Hey everybody, so I wrote and recorded this episode back in January, but I've been working on a few things since then. The first thing is a live show at Sweetbreads in Demarest, April 8th at 2 o'clock. We're going to have a conversation about Demarest history, we're going to talk about some extinct businesses, we're going to talk a little true crime, and maybe even a ghost story. Even if you are a regular listener of this podcast, and boy, I'd love to meet you if you are a regular listener of the podcast... This will be almost entirely new. All new material I've been writing like crazy the last two weeks. The other thing I've been working on is new episodes starting in June. We're going to start with a few episodes on the founding of Georgia, but then we're going to get right back up here to Northeast Georgia history. So if you're subscribed, please stay subscribed, tell a friend, and here I'm going to crank up the 78 player for the theme song. While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The alaman left for the old left and around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. This episode is going to be the last one before I take a little break. We're starting to think about closing out the school year, so I will be back with more episodes in June. So what I'm doing this week is cleaning out my closet. I have a lot of notes on interesting people that lived in Northeast Georgia, just not interesting enough to fill a 10-minute episode. So today we're going to travel around Northeast Georgia and meet a few people. David Freeman of Cartersville. In 1923, a man named David Bailey Freeman delivered a speech before the United Confederate Veterans in Atlanta, recounting his experiences in the war. Born in 1851, he would have probably been the youngest veteran there at 72 years old. In his speech, he acknowledges that he might be the youngest living Confederate veteran, having joined the war at the age of 11. Freeman's brother Morgan, who was about 12 years older than him, had raised a cavalry company in Gilmer County and had been elected first lieutenant. Morgan wanted to take his militia company into the war, but he himself was suffering from a case of phlebitis, an inflammation of a vein in the legs which can be very painful and make it very difficult to walk. He feared that the larger Confederate army might reject him for service due to the disease, so he asked his mother for permission to bring his brother David along as an aide. David accompanied his brother to Cartersville, where the Gilmer County boys joined the battalion of cavalry and one of infantry. This was Smith's Legion, an unusual army unit that included infantry and cavalry and sometimes artillery. Morgan Freeman, the older brother, stayed with a cavalry unit. David was put to work as a marker in a surveyor's unit. The Legion traveled through Kentucky and saw fighting at Chickamauga. He mentions watching the cavalry soldiers throw their knapsacks to the ground and hurry into battle against the Union troops at Resaca, Georgia, then again at Cassville. He stood near General Johnson at Kennesaw Mountain and remembered the hail of mortar fire around them as he resisted the urge to run. After the war, he pursued a career in journalism, running a newspaper in Cartersville. He wrote magazine articles and became involved with United Confederate Veterans, dying in 1929 at the age of 77. Micaiah Clark Dyer, 
of Blairsville. Patent number 154654 was awarded to Micaiah Clark Dyer of Blairsville in September of 1874. The title of the patent is Apparatus for Navigating the Air. The drawings show a craft that looks like a hot air balloon with a large gondola that has wings on the side. A hot air balloon that could carry passengers had been demonstrated in France since 1783 and the technology was well known in the United States a hundred years later. Balloons had even been used in the Civil War to spot out enemy positions. Different balloons could carry from one to five people and were held in place with lines to the ground. But even before the war, the idea of moving through the air was beginning to transition from the balloon drifting on the air currents to something more directly navigable. By the time Dyer became interested in designing an aircraft, airships had already been built with propellers turned by steam, people, and in one interesting case, changes in air pressure. An 1875 newspaper article describes Dyer's invention as being propelled by different kinds of devices, wings and paddle wheels, both to be simultaneously operated through the instrumentality of mechanism connected with the driving power. The wings would flap in flight, providing lift to augment the balloon, while paddle wheels pushed the vehicle through the air. A large rudder in the back would steer the ship. The article is very positive about the machine's prospects, but makes a point that Dyer had just secured a patent. The ship itself had not yet been built or flown. Dyer's family maintains a website with some secondhand accounts, people telling stories of how their relatives remembered seeing the machine fly. Reportedly, Dyer flew his airship repeatedly around Rattlesnake Mountain. And when he died in 1891, his widow sold the craft to two brothers who may have passed it along to the Wright brothers. Honestly, if they did, I don't know what the Wrights would have done with it. Dyer had drawn the plans for a gas bag augmented by an ornithopter. That's a heavier-than-air craft that flies by flapping its wings. The Wright flyer had fixed wings. The basic principle is different. It doesn't diminish Clark Dyer's achievement. The idea of guided flight was a developing concept at the time, and it must have been something for the neighbors to look up and see Mr. Dyer fly by their farm. Archibald Butt of Augusta he was born in 1865, and his name was Archibald Willingham de Graffenreed Clarendon Butt. Look him up on Wikipedia, and you will see a man with more gold braid on his uniform than I've ever seen outside of the movies. His grandfather fought in the American Revolution, and an uncle had fought for the Confederacy. At first, he didn't plan to join the military. He'd actually begun studying to become a minister. While going to school, he got involved working for some newspapers and became a correspondent for several. For a time, he also worked in an administrative post with the ambassador to Mexico, but returned to the United States when the Spanish-American War broke out. He signed up and was assigned to the quartermaster's department and ordered to arrange for the shipment of over 500 horses and mules to the Philippines. 
He managed to move the animals without losing any and wrote some papers on the care of animals in the tropics while he was there. Later, he served as a military aide to Theodore Roosevelt and to William Howard Taft. It's quite a resume. There's a bridge in Augusta named after him. The Washington National Cathedral has a wall plaque dedicated to Butt's memory. And a fountain near the White House is named the Butt Millet Fountain after him and Francis Millet. Francis Millet was a well-known painter who shared a house with Butt. They were very close. He was a hard worker, and in 1912, Butt was tired. He had been working in the White House for two presidents, and some, including President Taft, felt it was time for him to take a rest. He and Millet traveled to Europe for a six-week tour, then booked passage home on a vessel called RMS Titanic. The story is that Butt was playing cards in a lounge when the ship hit an iceberg. Some survivors claim that Butt actively organized people into lifeboats. Some say he stood back and calmly watched everything from the deck. There are some eyewitness accounts of his actions during the confusion, but they tend to contradict each other. In 1913, a cenotaph, that's a monument in a cemetery that doesn't contain a body, was placed in Arlington National Cemetery. Francis Millet, his companion, also perished in the sinking. His body was recovered, and it's buried in Massachusetts. Sidney Lanier, born in Macon in 1842. He served the Confederate Army in the Signal Corps and was a prisoner of war for a time. His most well-known poem is probably Song of the Chattahoochee. Here's part of it. Out of the hills of Habersham, down the valleys of Hall, I hurry amain to reach the plain, run the rapid and leap the fall. Split at the rock and together again, accept my bed or narrow or wide, and flee from folly on every side, with a lover's pain to attain the plain, far from the hills of Habersham, far from the valleys of Hall. There's a memorial in Augusta that honors Lanier along with three other poets. His birthplace in Macon has been preserved, and there are various other memorials around that city. And, of course, anyone from northeast Georgia will know that Lake Lanier was also named after him. I have an article here from the Atlanta History Journal describing Atlanta's various attempts to honor the poet. Three so far, and none have gone well. North of Woodruff Park is the Candler Building, and at its 1916 opening, it was the tallest building in Atlanta. The lobby has busts of famous Georgians, such as Alexander Stevens, Joel Chandler Harris, and Eli Whitney. Sidney Lanier is there, in marble, and below his bust is a name, Lamar. Yep, the sculptor got it wrong. And maybe just because it was marble and all, and maybe because he was in a hurry, I don't know, maybe he could change it, I really don't know. But the sculpture is still there, and the name is still misspelled. In 1915, the city tried again. A monument was built at the entrance to Piedmont Park that included a bronze bust. It was all put together by the wife of Mayor Livingston Mims, who had known the poet personally. Problem was, the local colleges considered it a time-honored prank to steal the bust from the monument. It was stolen and returned at least three times before the city gave up. Eventually, the bust was displayed in the Oglethorpe University Library. 
In 2012, a replica bust was installed on the monument, but not without a little bit of controversy. Lanier was always considered a son of the Confederacy and was included in that Augusta monument because all four poets were considered Confederate poets. In 2020, Atlanta's mayor impaneled a commission to examine Confederate monuments and street names and to recommend any changes. The Lanier Monument was on this list of monuments to be scrutinized, but due to Lanier being more nationally known as a poet than as a rebel, the commissioners chose to keep it unchanged. And one more. In 1985, a state senator from Macon introduced a bill to place a statue of Lanier in the rotunda of the Capitol building. The bill passed, but so far the statue has yet to be created or installed. I would like to thank all of you for listening. I genuinely enjoy putting these together for you guys. I hope you like listening to them. If you are subscribed, please stay subscribed. If you aren't, please hit that subscribe button. And if you have time, it would be great if you would leave a review or maybe leave five stars. Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast focusing on Northeast Georgia, but we do get farther afield sometimes. Thank you again for listening, and I will be back with more episodes in June. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an a deputy gal to Georgia. That's all.